Monday, November 14, 2022. Time for episode 185 of the Sports Wagon Podcast. Hello, everyone. It's your man, Uncle Dub. Hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Monday edition. Hey, we're uh, making some progress here. We're um, almost out of the 180s, heading to the 190s. And I still don't know what I want to do for my 200th episode. I'm still trying to figure it all out, but hopefully something will happens shortly um and my schedule is going to free up a little bit more i have a little bit more time to um actually have guests and podcasts holy crap who who knew um let's go over the nfl winners from sunday to start today's show so yesterday the panthers the buccaneers the vikings the vikings are eight and one they defeated the bills we're now six and three the lions lions beat the bears and i saw a lot of tweets yesterday about man just remember that the lions passed on Justin Fields I'm going oh yeah they did didn't they oops (laughs) Um, uh, other winners the Titans the Chiefs the Dolphins the Giants the Steelers the Colts the Packers beat Dallas in overtime and you know Mike McCarthy I think what this is his first trip to uh, Lambeau since becoming Dallas's head coach and you know of course they're questioning his uh, coaching decisions yet again so here we go uh, and then the Cardinals and the 49ers. Tonight, Monday Night Football, the 4-5 and five Commanders head to Lincoln Financial in Philadelphia to take on the 8-0 Eagles. The Eagles are 11-point favorites, A15 ESPN, and you know what happens on the other ESPN channels. NBA from last night, the Thunder over the Knicks, 145-135. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, 37 points. Cam Reddish goes for 26 for the Knicks. The Timberwolves over the Cavaliers, 129-124. D'Angelo Russell, 30 points, 12 assists. Darius Garland, 51 points in a losing effort. So the Cavs were trying to make a furious comeback, but it just wasn't enough as they fall by five. Wizards over the Grizzlies, 102-92. Chris Porzingis, 25 points. Dylan Brooks, 19 for the Grizzlies. 76ers over the Jazz, 105-98. Joel Embiid goes for 59 points. So two 50-point nights in the league last night. 11 rebounds along with that 59 Malik Beasley has 18 for the Jazz. Nuggets over the Bulls, 126-103. Michael Porter Jr., 31 for the Nuggets. Zach Levine goes for 21 for the Bulls. Kings over the Warriors, 122-115. Domantas Sabonis, 26 points, 22 rebounds for the Kings. And Steph Curry goes for 27 for the Warriors. Lakers over the Nets, 116-103. I mean, is this kind of the... The bright spot right now for the Lakers. They beat the Nets. Um, so Nets under new head coach Jacques Vaughn. So they dropped one by 13. Anthony Davis goes for 37 and 18. That's points and rebounds. Kevin Durant has 31 to lead uh, the Nets. College basketball. Let's kind of recap the weekend that was. Unfortunately, and this is going to be the new thing. So, you know, with football, when we get to college football, we'll talk about the um, the top 25. We'll go through the top 10 and all the movement in the top 25. But the big thing with college basketball that kind of irritates me, it is Monday. I'm recording this at almost 11 o'clock in the morning. And we won't see a top, a new top 25 poll to probably about one o'clock today, which is wild to me because for the men, Typically, there are no uh, men's games on Sunday. I mean, you you might get an occasional men's game on Sunday, but the women typically 
usually take center stage on Sundays. I could understand their polls a little delayed, especially once we get deeper into the season, because we'll have, you know, some double, triple headers. Some games will start a little bit late and end late. And of course, all the pollsters got to, you know, take it all in and do their homework and, you know, tally it, you know, submit their votes. The votes get tallied. I'm sure it's probably all electronic in this day and age. But um, I don't understand why the men's poll is so delayed. Uh, and even the women's poll, because there wasn't a whole, there, there was top 25 action yesterday. I think the latest game was probably four Eastern, I believe. So I think Arizona was, I think, the last top 25 team on the women's side to tip off yesterday. And they blew out, I want to say, Northern Arizona, if I recall correctly. Um, so I don't know. I just, I'm just really bothered by the fact that I have to wait. <sighs> hours uh, uh, for to to get the new poll on monday so what's probably going to end up happening is we'll end up doing all the top 10 basketball polls on wednesday on the wednesday show or whenever the next show happens so there is a plan for a wednesday show this week so we'll uh recap the top 25 there were some changes on the men's side so number 11 tennessee falls to colorado 78 to 66. Um, look at this. So this is here are the numbers. Colorado's bench outscored Tennessee's bench 52 to 34. Colorado shot 44% from the field. Tennessee shot 25%. So I think those are the numbers that kind of bounce off the page as you see number 11 Tennessee fall. And and you know, again, first weekend of the season. Um, not a great loss for Tennessee. Um, we'll see how it impacts them moving forward. But of course, you know, Tennessee looks to be one of the teams that uh, is probably going to be, you know, in the conversation in the SEC. Of course, Kentucky's back, but Tennessee has been um, kind of the standard bearer of the SEC for the last couple of seasons. They've been really, you know, in the mix. Um, but this is one that they're really going to have to rebound from and kind of have some discussions about and try to figure it all out. Um, Villanova, number 16, Villanova falls to Temple. So they were playing at the LaCour Center on Temple's campus. Uh, this was one of those uh, big five games. So I think uh, Villanova started the season against LaSalle. So this was, let's see, Temple LaSalle. Can I name, can I name all the big five members? Let's see. It's uh, Temple, LaSalle, Penn. Okay, wait, wait. Let's start over. Villanova, Temple, LaSalle, Penn. Uh, Drexel. Okay, so those are your big five. I probably messed one up. Anyway, so big five game, and they said this was a classic. They said the only thing that was missing was this game at the Palestra. So the Palestra, the famous cathedral of college basketball in, in Philadelphia. So for, for Temple, this is their first win against Villanova since 2012. So when Fran Dumphy was leading the team, uh, this is the first meeting between these two city rivals since 2020. So again, that was... Uh, pandemic related um the big story here the owls they took away villanova's three-point shooting so uh head coach villanova head coach kyle neptune basically said we want to shoot the three they denied us the three-point line they did an excellent job of doing that so by taking away villanova's ability to shoot the three temple was able to come out with a big victory and i think <laughs> there was a little controversy at the end because uh you know the student section stormed the court twice uh, twice what so I think there was a foul in the game with about 
1.1 seconds left to go. And I think the student body was so excited that this thing was happening that they ran on the court. And I think they kind of had to restore order, get everybody, you know, kind of <laughs> back in the seats. I'm sure head coach Aaron McKee was probably like, you know, not happy. But once the final buzzer sounded, the student section, you know, ran on the court. They had a big celebration for head coach Aaron McKee. This is the first big signature win for his tenure uh, as head coach of, of the program that he played for. So congratulations to him and Temple. I mean, this is huge. So, I mean, again, you know, the sign of big things here. But, I mean, again, for Villanova and, and for Tennessee, you know, it's the first weekend. You know, this is not a, uh, you know, this is not panic time. But you have to think about the the trajectory of both teams. Let's say Villanova, you know, does what they do in the Big East. And they're, you know, maybe let's say they're a top 10 team by the time we get to the end of all this. Let's say Tennessee's back in the top 10 or is is in the top 10. They're number 11. And let's say Colorado and both Temple have great seasons in the Pac-12 and the American Conference respectively. That loss does not look as bad. Now, both these teams tank. This is going to be one of those bad losses that's going to really reflect on their resume when you start looking at the tournament. So we'll see how it all pans out. But, of course, it's going to be um, you know, interesting and fun to watch, as it always is. On the women's side, Belmont. Belmont gave Louisville all they could handle. So Belmont out of the Missouri Valley Conference, they, they fell to Louisville. 75 to 70 Belmont they shot what 52% from the field um but they had 19 turnovers Louisville had 12 so again Louisville having 12 turnovers you know got to clean that up a little bit and Louisville out rebounded them 32 to 28 so the rebounding margin was plus four for Louisville I mean not a huge rebounding margin but just slight enough that Louisville was able to pull out a win but that was I mean for a little bit Louisville was on upset alert that was looking pretty scary for the Cardinal for Jeff Walsh's team but they managed to pull it out but I was listening to um I was watching I think it was I was watching the, the Virginia women play Wake Forest and first of all again Virginia women are three and oh so take from that whatever you will but uh, one of the, I think it was uh, Debbie Antonelli was on the call and she said that, you know, Belmont's no slouch. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's definitely a game to kind of keep an eye on. And sure enough, Louisville got all they can handle from Belmont. So, you know, hey, you know, moral victories don't really get you anywhere, but I'm sure Belmont's going to take from this experience. They're going to take a lot from this experience moving forward into their conference season. Louisville, obviously. Some things they need to clean up, but again, they're still, you know, number going to be number seven in the nation. I don't think this, you know, obviously this close win is not going to should not affect their ranking, but they're definitely going to be looking at this almost loss, this close game, as you know, some examples of you know how to improve as an, as a team. You know, they they managed to pull it out, so that means that you know you got a a highly ranked top ten team that knows how to win and knows how to. Uh, thrive in pressure situations so you know it's it's again it's early there's so there's only so much you can get from early season but we've already seen a couple upsets on the women's side or one yeah a couple of us on the women's side women's side 
couple upsets on the men's side. So we know that it's going to happen. But moving forward, the trajectory of these teams, we, you know, we, we'll know it as we see it. And we're going to have a lot of good basketball this week. I believe the uh, I believe Champions Classic is, I think, tonight or tomorrow night in New York City. So Duke and Kansas are going to go at it. Um, and actually, Anscape did an article today about the link between Duke and Kansas that goes through um, uh, uh, John McClendon. So I've talked about uh, John McClendon and his legacy on this podcast a number of times. So um, as I typically will say to you, if you have never watched the Black Magic documentary, you've got to watch it. I do. I did not watch it this year yet, so I'll probably watch it at some point uh, very, very soon. Um, before we take a break, let's talk about the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. So the 12 finalists have been named, and I believe during the Phil Knight legacy uh, in a few weeks or days, the finalists will be narrowed down to those who will be inducted in April. So first, both from the Minnesota Lynx, Taj McWilliams-Franklin and Lindsey Whalen. So if you remember, Lindsey Whalen was recently inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame back in September. Brian Agler, so he's a WNBA championship winning coach. He both won titles with Seattle and Los Angeles. Carolyn Peck, congratulations to Coach Peck. Uh, I mean, this is so long overdue. So won the 99 national title with the Purdue Boilermakers, the first black woman to win a national title. Um, played her basketball at Vanderbilt, was an assistant coach at a number of different schools, head coach at Florida, uh, was a coach and GM in the WNBA. She's now an ESPN analyst um, and, you know, someone who I've watched firsthand coach, uh, watched her uh, at a number of NCAA games. I mean, just phenomenal, phenomenal uh, coach. And, you know, just congratulations again. So long overdue. Uh, Kathy Boswell from Illinois State. She was a 1984 Olympic gold medalist. Paula McGee, two-time NCAA champion at USC. Crystal Robinson, WNBA forward, and she was an assistant coach on the 2008 uh, Seattle championship team. Uh, Saudia Roundtree, so she was a 1996 Naismith Player of the Year, an All-American at the University of Georgia. Uh, some other nominees here. A finalist, rather, Sue Phillips, the current head coach at Archbishop Mitty in San Jose for the last 29 years. I believe she's also an alumna, alumnae of the school. She has multiple National Coach of the Year awards, 761 wins and counting, multiple league and state titles. And she has coached and is continuing to coach the USA uh, under 16, under 17 teams uh, for the girls. Uh, Mary Rooney Scoville, so she is a six-time junior college national champion at Gulf Coast State College, former Texas women's athletic director Donna Lopiano, and college and WNBA NBA ref Lisa Mattingly. So congratulations to all the finalists, and we'll know in a, in a few days uh, you know, when, uh, who will be uh, the final inductees into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame. When we come back, we'll talk WNBA briefly. Uh, draft lottery is happening. We'll go through draft lottery and do a mock draft. And, of course, we'll get to our college football uh, for recap from the weekend. And we'll look ahead to week 12. Week 12 is going to be very exciting. Stay tuned.
All right, everybody, welcome back. So, WNBA. So, I was actually, um, so last show I talked about uh, the coaching changes and talked a little bit about free agency. And I think the same day or next day, I was like, oh, draft lottery. And, and I feel like the draft lottery, for some reason, I feel like it's a little earlier than it normally is. But nevertheless, they had it because uh, I saw a picture of um, Natasha Cloud uh, was on her way to the draft lottery to represent the Mystics. And they were you know, saying, well, you know, she's she was saying, I'm hoping I can you know, be a, a good luck charm again to help uh, Washington you know, get a pretty high draft pick. Um, well, obviously get the number one pick, but you will see. But anyway, um, so the Indiana Fever win the draft lottery. Okay, congratulations to them. So this is the first number one pick in franchise history. So we'll kind of run through the order here. And ESPN did their mock draft. So it's funny. Um, there are times where I am kind of looking for mock draft information. I feel like usually sometime in the so this is early in the college basketball season so college basketball just started and we're you know talking mock draft and that's fine usually about the middle of the season is usually where i'm trying to get some reboots maybe some some versions some 2.0 versions of the mock draft because it's kind of based on how players are doing so obviously this list is kind of the beginning it's a incomplete work because you're going to have to think about the players in their body of work, because that's usually what's going to happen. So obviously you're looking for certain skills. And then of course the order of the draft could potentially change. We've seen that over the last couple drafts where um, maybe two through 10 or whatever, there's going to be some shuffling. Some teams are going to try to make some deals. As a matter of fact, there's a few teams in here who have multiple picks. And I think Washington who's going to pick at fourth. I think they got that pick from Los Angeles. And looking at this again, Los Angeles, and I'm sure Los Angeles, Las Vegas, obviously do not have picks in the first round. Um, so, but again, this mock draft represents how the players are ranked now as some of the top players in the league. But again, things will change. There's some names that aren't in here that, you know, could maybe not enter the first round, but players that could potentially be picked up in the second round due to, you know, either, you know, players are not currently on the, the, the WNBA radar as far as, you know, maybe their, their stock is maybe okay, but it hasn't risen to a certain level um, injury. So we mentioned Kansas state. So they played Wisconsin on Friday night. And they got the win. So um, Wisconsin, oh my gosh, Marissa, Marissa Mosley's team, I mean, scrappy team. K-State just kind of was able to just pull away from them in Milwaukee. So they played at uh, the Brewer Stadium. That was a doubleheader. I think the men played Stanford. The men won. But uh, Aoka Lee, as I mentioned, for Kansas State, you know, a lot of people are expecting her to have a really breakout final season. She opted to come back for one more season. She's finished her degree, doing some graduate work at Kansas State um, with her size, with her ability. Remember, she thinks she had two, she had a 50 point game last year and a 60 plus point game last year. Um, so a lot of folks were looking forward to seeing what she could do. Her name was really kind of in the WNBA uh, draft list. I think she's definitely going to be a draft pick. Um, she's currently not in the top 12, but definitely I think a team could benefit 
from her size, from her abilities or skills. But again, because she's injured, she's not playing the season. That's going to have an effect. But let's run through this here. So number one, Indiana. I mean, again, Aaliyah Boston is obviously going to be the top pick here. I mean, unless some miraculous, crazy thing happens, because one of the things they mentioned in the article, they say, well, more than likely she's going to be coming out this season. I mean, unless she opts for a fifth season, which mm, come on now, um, she's got the opportunity to win another national title. Okay. She's player of the year. I mean, she's, she's accomplished everything she potentially could do in college. So, whether they win another title or not, it's pr- I think it's going to be pretty, I-, I would say it's probably about 98.5% <laughs> certain that she's going to come out and more likely she's going to go to Indiana. And I think that's really good. I think Indiana needs some size. Um, at two, Minnesota, Haley Jones from Stanford. Haley Jones, if you've... I'm sure you've seen her play. She could literally play every all five positions on the court. I mean, Haley Jones is just that skilled, and I think Minnesota needs a player like that. Um, again, they've kind of talked in the article about some of the greats who've played in Minnesota, and they're like, look, we're not trying to put her in that same conversation, but with her skill, with her size, her skill, her ability, she has the ability to be a great in the WNBA so Haley Jones, they're projecting Haley Jones in Minnesota. Atlanta picking third, Rakia Jackson from Tennessee. Fourth to Washington, Diamond Miller from Maryland. I think she left a game recently with a, I believe, with a minor injury. I think she's okay. You know, it's funny. Washington, so I don't know how I feel about these. Let's pick close to home picks. I mean, again, Diamond Mill is a really good player. Don't, 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 don't get it twisted. But these, let's pick close to home picks. Get a little. I don't know. I, I'm. I, I think it's a good pick. It's just, it's just weird that there's this good pick and she's right up the road in College Park. But nevertheless, good pick for them. Chicago, Charisma Osborne from UCLA, and I think she missed a little time last season with injury. But she is really. Um, she's very dynamic, um, watched her play. I think she missed some of the beginning of last season, got a chance to see her play last season. I mean, very dynamic player, uh, New York, uh, Jordan Horston from Tennessee. So Indiana with their second pick at seven, they're talking Asia Blackwell from Baylor, Atlanta, their second pick at eight, Elizabeth Kitley from Virginia Tech. Um, so a big, um, I think a big who can give you a lot from a scoring, rebounding, and a defensive um, standpoint. So Kitley does all these things very well. She's a scorer, obviously rebounding with her size, but I think she's a really good rim protector. So I think um, Atlanta gets something with her. Uh, nine to Seattle, J.C. Sheldon from Ohio State. Number 10, Connecticut, Ashley Jones from Iowa State. And Jones, I think she's a really good shooter. Um, definitely, I think something Connecticut can benefit from. 11, Dallas, Maddie Williams from Oklahoma. So with Maddie Williams, um, definitely got some great offensive skills. I think, if I remember correctly, Oklahoma defensively as a team, they're okay. They could be much better. But again, Maddie Williams, she's very, um, she, she has, they talked about her motor. And very true. She has a very good motor. I mean, she definitely has 
um, what it takes offensively and, of course, the motivation to drive to play at the next level. And lastly, to Minnesota, Celeste Taylor from Duke. Um, she played, I think she spent her first couple of years of college at Texas. So she played for Vic Schaefer. And defensively, she is a very good defender. One of the, one of her knocks, however, is her turnover. So if she can work on protecting the basketball better, I mean, not to say that that's going to keep her out of contention for, you know, keep her out of the draft. That's one of her knocks. Other than that, she can score and she's a really good defender. So again, um, kind of the 12 players currently that, you know, ESPN, I mean, obviously there are probably a thousand different sources for mock draft information. I would probably, I'm thinking I'm going to kind of look at some other uh, sources. I kind of like have someone on to talk about mock draft stuff, but anyway, we'll, we'll get to all that later, but nice start. We'll kind of update this maybe about, maybe about January, uh, see where we are as far as, because once, uh, so some teams, you know, maybe one or two teams have started conference play already, but um, conference play is going to start kicking in in the next couple weeks into January, obviously to February. So once conference play starts, once the heat of all these different competitions begin, then we're going to start to see these players kind of separate themselves and we'll kind of see the draft board move around. And of course, we'll probably see some, t- some players move into the top 12 some players move out so it's going to be interesting to see started from here where we go as far as the projections for the WNBA draft coming up in April all right let's get to the part of the show you're here for college football week 12 AP top 10 let's go through this and of course remember tomorrow night the CFP top four is going to be revealed so we'll kind of I'll touch on that in a second all right your top five all stayed in place from last week to this week. Number one, Georgia with 62 first place votes. Number two, Ohio State with one first place vote. Number three, Michigan. Number four, Texas Christian. And number five, Tennessee. Six through 10 are all movers. Number six, LSU up a spot to number six. USC up a spot to seven. Alabama moves up two spots to eight. Clemson up three spots to nine. And Utah moves up three spots to 10. Your big up mover this week are the Washington Huskies. They move up nine spots to 15. Your big down mover this week, also from the Pac-12, UCLA down seven to 16. Into the poll this week, spots 22 through 25, Cincinnati, the Chanticleers of Coastal Carolina, Oklahoma State, and Oregon State. Out of the poll this week, the Wolfpack of NC State, the Texas Longhorns, Illinois, and Liberty. Liberty. Why do I emphasize Liberty? Get this. Liberty lost to UConn. Wait, are we talking football or basketball? We're talking football here. UConn. UConn is now bowl eligible. Let me say that again in case you are kind of thinking, wait, are we talking football? We are talking football. UConn is bowl eligible. Their coach is the son of the man who said, playoffs? Are you kidding me? Yes, Jim Moore Jr. <laughs> said, bowl, we're going to be there. That's what he said. And UConn's bowl eligible after beating Liberty. Man, I tell you, there have been a lot of craziness this season. UConn being legit football was not on my sports bingo for for this season. It really was not. Um, I think they... I feel like they started with a win and then they hit a little bit. That's just that's a small skid. And then they've kind of been smooth sailing since then. So UConn, 
okay, congratulations to the Huskies, man. Now, what's Dan Hurley and the gang going to do on the basketball side? We'll, we'll wait and see. We we know what REM is going to do on the women's side. We ain't got to even ask about that. But, yeah, man, UConn football, catch, catch the fever. Um, let's see, TCU. So what did I learned this week, TCU. Sonny Dykes and the Horned Frogs, they ain't scared. They just, basically, uh, in an interview, uh, Sonny Dykes talked about how, um, you know, they were picked to finish somewhere around seventh or eighth in the in the Big 12. And I think they are going to the Big 12 championship, if I recall correctly. So there's, you know, they, they kind of reflect on that on a regular at, in practice and in meetings that, you know, no, everyone doubted us. Here we are. And they are currently fourth in the college football playoff. So TCU said, we're here, we ain't backing down. But against Texas, and I believe I picked them to beat Texas this past week. And that w- that game was ugly. I mean, I think it was 0-0 into the first quarter. It was 3-0 at the half. They ended up winning, I think, 17-10. So ugly game. It was not your typical high-scoring Big, big 12 affair, which... For me, I appreciate that. I really do. I like normal football scores. You know, 56 to 56 to 55, that's not a normal football score. Let, let's let's go and keep that in perspective here. But they actually played, I mean, not, not to say they don't have defense. They played a defensive game against Texas. They slowed down B. John Robinson. I mean, TCU did everything necessary to win this game. And TCU is looking like a sneaky uh, number four team that may just could could just up in somebody. I mean, again, Georgia is still looking like Georgia. Georgia is looking like they're here. They're they're trying to defend this thing. But right now, um, Ohio State, Michigan, they survive. I think Mich- I think both of them have. Yeah, Ohio State goes to Maryland this week. Michigan. I forget who they're playing, but I don't think they're playing anyone that's that that they're expected to lose to. So again, this time next week, they should be two and three. So we're gonna have a big matchup between those two teams. The winner, more than likely, is still gonna be sailing toward the college football playoff. Michigan's ten and zero. They say they are a happy ten and zero team, and they're sailing towards the college football playoff. But again, it, you know, there th- there's the impenetrable wall. Ohio State or Michigan, one of them is going to fall out of this thing. And what does that make room for? That makes room for a Tennessee, an LSU, a USC potentially because Oregon, Oregon's done. Um, Oregon, Washington takes out Oregon, which I think I picked Oregon. So Oregon chooses the wrong time to lose. That upends their chance, their shot at a, uh, you know, kind of getting the playoff. USC, they're three spots out of this, but LSU's in front of them. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how it all flushes out. Um, So, again, it's all on more so USC because Utah is at 10 and they're six spots out of this. Unless something happens, shoot, it has to be shoot, six through nine. Something happens to them, which, I mean, come on. I don't see that happening because I feel like. Everybody in front of them is playing somebody decent this week or or they're they're playing games. Well, not decent. I think they're playing games that should win this week. So, I mean, 
Utah's really on the outside of this. They'll probably be in the New York Six game. I mean, depending on how the Pac-12 championship goes down. So uh, we'll kind of get all that flushed out as we get closer to because we got to get through rivalry week. So we're starting that this week. So I'll kind of run through a couple games in just a second. Um, UCLA lost to Arizona. Arizona stops the UCLA comeback. UCLA, again, kind of like I said with uh, Oregon, UCLA chose the wrong time to lose because I was just thinking the other day, gosh, it's like this is year two for Frisch at Arizona, and it's not, it's getting slightly better, but it isn't great. So uh, the Territorial Cup is going to be very. Uh, contentious, but yet between two teams that are doing very bad. So again, you know, Frisch is leading Arizona. I think it was a Sean Aguano is leading Arizona State. So he's interim. Um, and to the Arizona State job, I think I said this, but I'm going to reiterate this. So I talked about Brian Harson's situation at Auburn. As we know, he's since been fired. I think I said some time ago that uh, I think Harson isn't going to be out of coaching long. I think this is just my thought. I think Harson's going to head back to the West. He's going to head back out West. I think Harson might be the guy at Arizona State. I could be totally wrong. Um, I don't know how Arizona State fans are going to feel about that, but I feel like because of Harson, you know, he was from Boise State, goes to Auburn. That was a total mismatch. Now I feel like him going back out west, Arizona State, I think that's a more congruent fit from a style and from a, a recruiting stance. So we'll see how it goes. But that's just my thought. Who knows where Ray Anderson's going to go? I mean, this is the guy who hired Herman Edwards and look at where we are. So I don't know. Uh, um, but here, but this is one that Ray Anderson's got to get right. He's got to get it right this time. Also, you have to think about the fact that whoever comes to Arizona State's going to have to deal, well, not necessarily deal, but they've got to reckon with all the the investigations. I mean, it's not their mess, but it's going to be part of their tenure that they've got to kind of maneuver around as they try to rebuild that program. Um, let's see. I told you Cincinnati, East Carolina is going to be close. I think Cincy won by 27-25. Uh, I think they kicked the field goal to win. And... East Carolina, they're always good. They're always just just close. Like they, they just can't seem to get over the hump. And they always play Cincinnati. I told you they play Cincinnati close last year at home. They go to their place and give them a game. So East Carolina is just always on the cusp, but just can't seem to just push forward. So, but again, it was a good game. So congratulations to Cincinnati. Um, Alabama and Ole Miss. What is it about Ole Miss? Ole Miss always gets up for Alabama and they always give us a classic. And of course, you know, when you're the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, Bryce Young, what does he do? He just goes out and amazes, leads Alabama to a victory. And like I said, I called this game for, I believe I called this game for Alabama. Let me just double check my notes here, but I'm pretty sure. I felt Alabama was going to win this game. Yes, I did because I'm smarter than I think I am sometimes. But yes, Alabama, they you know they 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 pulled it out. But Ole Miss and Alabama for the you know even for you know, for the last few years and even you can go back a few years that matchup has always given us some good outcomes. So again, who's to say what's going to happen? 
next year. But again, we'll see what happens next year. Um, oh, uh, congratulations to Clark Lee and Vanderbilt. They break a 26-game SEC losing streak against Kentucky. Kentucky, Kentucky fell off. Here's a team that comes in. I think they were, I believe they were ranked in the top 10 when we started this. They are now six and four. So at least they're bowl eligible and they're three and four in conference. So, but Vanderbilt finally just broke through monkeys off their back. Now they can just, I, I wouldn't say play free. I mean, it, you know, I'm sure they, they've been trying to push past this for a while, but it's just kind of, it's just kind of hard to just try to, you know, do certain things and, and push forward uh, when you just haven't won an SEC game in what, 26 games. Who know, I mean, I don't know the time on that, but that's a lot of losses. But uh, but that's why they brought that's why Vanderbilt brought Clark Lee there to try to, you know, again, build this team, establish the culture and get them back in the conversation. Because if you remember, Vanderbilt has been in the conversation in the SEC. Now, I'm won it and God knows how long, but they are a team that has had success. You remember James Franklin. You remember Franklin at Penn State. He was the vet, the guy at Vanderbilt. They had some good times under James Franklin. But again, you know, Lee's more of a defensive guy. But again, you know, they're making it happen. So we'll see how it kind of how Vanderbilt builds off of this win and try to, you know, try to just uh, get better uh, in conference play. All right, let's look at, uh, oh, one note from college football before we get into week 12. Um, sources are saying that Shane Lyons, the athletic director at West Virginia, is out. So what do we say happens if the AD's in trouble, the college, the, the, the college football coach is in, is in trouble? And Neil Brown has not had a really good tenure at West Virginia. The team is currently four and six. So if they, and they have an interim in place right now, so the interim, I forget his name, but he is a uh, uh, he's a West Virginia grad. So, again, whether he becomes the AD or they hire somebody new, you know what's going to happen. The new AD is probably going to roll in, look at the situation and one or two things are going to happen. Now, let's kind of set this side of it because we know what the obvious is. Let's set this side. Brown has a 17 million dollar buyout. Here's the problem. So Shane Lyons, one of his uh, criticisms for why he was fired was his lack of ability to find creative uh, streams of funding for the athletic department. If West Virginia lets Neil Brown go, that's a $17 million hit, and that's really going to cripple the athletic department budget. So West Virginia has to make some decisions here because they extended Brown uh, a few years ago, um, I think about thinking 2020, I think they extended them. So it's been about three years, two or three years. And I think at that time, his record was 500. So again, questionable decision-making. Now the team isn't doing very good. Um, and so now the question is, do they bring him back for another year to save money? Do they wait to let him go? Maybe the buy you, you, and you know how these buyouts work. Okay, if we fire you now, we owe you this much. If we wait till this date, we owe you half. So maybe they finish the season, they wait until a certain date, and then say, "All right, you got to go and pay him his money." And the seventeen million maybe it goes down to eight and a half. Eight and a half is still a lot of money, but 
it's not 17 million, you know, do the math. So that's kind of where West Virginia is. But again, as we know, typically new AD, football coach is struggling or football coach is kind of on the hot seat. The AD can walk in and go, okay, you're kind of been on a slide for a year or two. We're going to give you one more year. If it's been a long slide, if the fan base is unhappy, if the football attendance numbers are dropping, that new AD does not owe any loyalty to the to the current guy, and they can just walk in and say, you got to go. So we'll keep an eye on the situation, but it's going to be interesting um, if, again, if the interim will make the decision or will the interim hold the place until the new AD is hired. And this is probably going to take a little while, so maybe the timing might work out where they hire a new AD because we've noticed, I've noticed over the last... I think Georgia Tech hired a new AD fairly quickly after they left. I think it was Todd Stansberry go. And someone else recently just hired a new AD pretty quickly. And it's kind of in the midst of some uh, issues, some program issues where one program, either they had to make a decision on the coach. But anyway, so the hiring process could potentially get expedited. Oh, Auburn. It was Auburn because with Auburn, they hired, I think they were in the process of hiring a new AD. Once he was hired, the decision was made. First decision he made was to let um, Brian Harson go, and and we kind of knew the Harson situation was going to happen. It was just again not what, but when. Um, so again, potentially this West Virginia AD situation will get expedited. They'll hire someone, or maybe they've got someone in the pipeline they're thinking about. Or as I said, maybe the interim will be the guy. Once that happens, then we'll see, will the decision be made about Neil Brown? My bet, if I had a dollar on me right now, I actually do have my wallet on me and I do have several dollars, but we'll just say last time I bet a dollar, I broke even. So we'll see how it goes. But um, if I had a dollar to bet, or if I take a dollar in my pocket now, I'm going to bet Neil Brown is going to be let go but it's probably going to be a situation where he'll be let go where to, at a date and time where his buyout, if it's not a locked-in buyout. So again, if it's $17 million right off rip and it's not going to go down, which sounds crazy to me because most um, schools, most institutions will say, okay, on this date is this much, on this date, so on and so forth. So you see um, the timing changes. Um, the last few coaching firings were okay well we just gotta get rid of you because we're so bad we'll pay you the money we don't care with west virginia and such a with their athletic department and such a budget crunch do they extend it out and i don't like that and i don't know the details of his contract but we'll assume for now that maybe by january 15th it's eight and a half million if that's the case then maybe they wait till then but my whole thing is by then you're into uh the season where you're trying to do a early signing period all that stuff so you're kind of in a crucial period of training you know getting ready for spring ball recruiting so my guess is if the if the amount goes down two months from now what's going to happen is West Virginia might just have to take the hit. They'll let Neil Brown go pay him a 17 million. And then they've got to figure out how they're going to pay their next coach, whoever that may be. All right. Week 12. That's what I want to get to week 12 games. So, um, 
as we started about three weeks ago, Tuesday and Wednesday night, we got action or we got maction for the Mid-American Conference. Um, kind of looked at those games. None of those games looked terribly interesting. And that's sad because the MAC, uh, when they started doing these Tuesday, Wednesday night games from the Mid-America Conference, you had some really good matchups. I know what Western Michigan was doing really well. Uh, usually Toledo and Akron are usually really good. And I, I'm looking to matchups like you, you might have a team that's eight and two versus a five and five team. I'm kind of like, eh, okay, no, nothing to see here. However, over the weekend, we got about, I'm, gonna call, I'm, I'm looking at 17 games, potentially, but there are definitely four I will be talking about, four rivalry games. We got Bedlam, we got the Axe game between Stanford and Cal, um, what's the other one, USC-UCLA. Now, again, I'm very sad that these teams are no longer in the top 10 because, what's the USC, I mean, USC still in the top 10, but remember the last few polls, uh, USC and UCLA were like right back to back. I think one of the more recent polls, I think they were eight and nine respectively. I think last week they were eight and nine respectively. Um, UCLA, yeah, UCLA was nine. USC was eight. Now UCLA moved up to seven. So, but it's still going to be a, uh, a ranked matchup, which I don't know the last time USC and UCLA met ranked, but it's going to be a good game. Of course, you know how it is with rivalry games. There's going to be the chirping. There's going to be the, you know, they're going to be staring each other down, but it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, so I mentioned what UCLA, uh, UCLA, USC, Stanford, Cal for the Axe, Bedlam, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. And this is going to be the last Bedlam until who knows when. And of course, the matchup they simply call the game, Yale and Harvard. So we're going to talk about Ivy League football this week but we got 17 games four rivalry games that'll kick us off because again we're going to get into some more rivalry games uh next week because next week is rivalry week so all the different matchups the the you know they name these games the trophies the blah 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 but of course it's the bragging rights it's the who gets the who gets to celebrate for 364 days? Who get uh, who gets to hold the L for 364 days? You know that that bad taste in your mouth. It, it that's what it's all about. And and of course, when we talk about these in-state robberies, it always affects recruiting because you've got a lot of these kids who grew up watching a lot of these matchups, and a lot of them are thinking, well. Am I going to go to South Carolina or Clemson? Am I going to go to Florida or Florida State? Am I going to go to, you know, uh, Michigan or Ohio State? Am I going to get, well, that's not in-state, but you get the idea. But I'm going to go to Virginia or Virginia Tech. So that's where we are this week. I got 17 games. So I'll recap my picks from last week on Friday. Wednesday, I've got a th potential Thursday night game. If I decide to call it, we'll go through the Thursday night matchup on the Wednesday show. But um, I want to end today's show on a bit of a somber note. Um, so last night, so I was made aware of this this morning when I when I woke up and, you know, check my Twitter feed, but uh, I was made aware and you've probably heard the news about the incident, the shooting uh, that happened at the University of Virginia last night. And of course, um, I also saw before I went to bed that four people were found dead at uh, a house near the University of Idaho where there a mass homicide took place. So first of all, to both 
university communities, especially UVA, because UVA, I'm a graduate. I holds a special place in my heart. Charlottesville does and has always held a special place in my heart. I mean, um, you know, when, uh, you know, the unite the right thing happened, I, it, it just, it really, really hurt me. And I know, you know, obviously it hurt many, many people, um, such a tragic day, but you know, when these sorts of things happen in communities like this university of Idaho, university of Virginia, um, you know, it's, uh, tragic, it's senseless, a senseless loss of young lives. Um, you know, these are people who will not live to grow old. And it just, it, it, I don't know, I don't want to point fingers or say it could be this or could be that. But the only thing I'm going to say is this, that, you know, we have to do better as a society to figure out ways that we can just increase peace among ourselves to reduce violence i mean gun violence is just so rampant in the society and it's it just it just disheartens me um not just as an old guy but as someone who has you know a son you know a young son who you know a young black child who i'm gonna have to one day have a conversation with him about the world as it is and the world that feels like it's getting worse than it was when i was his age and getting older that i have to have the same conversations about certain things and how to protect himself protect himself and how to you know be wary of certain situations and this that and the third and you know it's it's disheartening but um What's even more disheartening, as I mentioned, is the loss of young life. And um, so I'm hoping that, you know, the folks who the, the law enforcement agencies who are involved in both these cases at these universities, I hope they find the perpetrator. And of course, justice will never bring back these lost lives, but um, it gives us some comfort. But at the same time, too. As I mentioned, we have to find ways in which we can just increase the peace and help people if they have issues that they need to deal with instead of dealing with them in a violent way. But I mean, I don't have all the answers here. Um, no one has all the answers, but I mean, it just it's just bothersome that we are in 2022 and we're still just dealing with a lot of same stuff but um i wanted to end with that but i thank you for listening and i just want to to um you know stay safe stay healthy and i'll talk to you on our next episode coming up on wednesday peace thank you for listening to the latest episode of the sports wagon podcast if you enjoyed the episode please subscribe rate review and tell a friend about the show you can also send me a voicemail or send me a message on Twitter or Instagram at It's Uncle Dub. That's I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Also, please consider supporting the podcast at buymeacoffee.com backslash sportswagonpod. I really appreciate your support. Thank you.